We are finishing up Jeremiah tonight. Amen, right? Glad to be out of Jeremiah. Uh, we, we're going to finish up Jeremiah tonight. We've got one more day to read Jeremiah, and then Lamentations, which is Jeremiah's Lamentations. We'll be shorter, carry you through the weekend. And then on Monday, you start the wheel within a wheel visions of Ezekiel. Uh, and so uh, we're, we're, uh, I was just saying that if you've got your copy tonight, you're doing one-year Bible and you've got a copy, isn't it nice to see what's been read versus what needs to be read? Isn't that nice to see that? You know, you feel like you, when you're reading a novel and you kind of break that halfway point, it just kind of races towards the end. And so um, we, uh, it's nice to see that. I was also reminded uh, this week in a couple of places that there are several people in our church that are reading that can't be with us on Wednesday night, and they were talking about how much they've enjoyed it. So I've enjoyed it. I know it does. When you're in a book like Jeremiah, it does draw out a little bit, and you had Isaiah and Jeremiah together. That kind of happens. But uh, once you get through, Ezekiel will take a little while as well, but once you get into especially December, December will go quickly because you'll be reading uh, almost all of the minor, well, you will be reading all the minor prophets in December. Those will go quickly. Uh, the first part of December is 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Jude, which you'll read real quickly. I mean, Jude's a day, 3rd John's a day, 2nd John may be two, 1st uh, John's a couple more than that. And then we're in Revelation for three weeks. And so it'll be interesting. Uh, uh, Ezekiel has... Uh, Ezekiel is an interesting book. Um, there was a movie that came out two or three years ago. Susan and I didn't even we went we Susan and I go to a movie about once every I don't know four or five years. I mean we we don't we haven't been to a movie much partly because we have you know three children and it cost us four hundred and twelve dollars to go to a movie and get a babysitter and go to the you know it's just ridiculous and so we decided we go to a movie and we ended up in a movie that we didn't know much about but it was. The only one that uh, ratings-wise, we read, you know, what was in there. We thought, okay, we'll go see it. And it was a uh, book filled with references to Ezekiel. It's called Knowing. Nicholas Cage put it out two or three years ago. And uh, so the, the world considered it a uh, an alien movie. But I think the author, well, I read some stuff online. He's a believer. The guy that wrote the movie didn't intend it to be that. He intended it to be like a modern-day Ezekiel understanding. So it'd be, it's interesting. It, you, you have to, I mean, there are some things you have to know from Ezekiel. To, it, they don't spell that out for you. They do talk about Ezekiel in the movie. But anyways, Ezekiel will be interesting in that way. Hosea is just a fascinating book still coming up. Jonah, we still have Jonah. Uh, Amos, uh, Obadiah, where he's just mad at everybody. Um, so, you know, but the Obadiah is like one day. So uh, it's, it's good. It'll be a, a good transition and discussion over the next few weeks. We still get to read Peter's books in the New Testament. And so we're going to, uh, because of the length of the Pentateuch, the first five books, and the length of the major prophets, it, you, you most of the year is spent in that in the Old Testament. And because of the length of the Gospels and Acts in comparison to the rest of the New Testament, you get a lot of epistles and a lot of that stuff quickly at the end. All right? So let's look. Any lingering questions in Jeremiah? Here's what I thought we'd do with Jeremiah tonight. If you've got lingering questions from what we've read this week or 
something else we'll cover. I mean, we've been on Jeremiah for three or four weeks now. Um, and then I've got um, seven things, I think, lessons we can learn from Jeremiah. I thought we could wrap up that way. And then uh, we'll go to the pastoral epistles and kind of just handle them as a whole in the New Testament. So any lingering questions, thoughts, things you wondered about or noticed or kind of sparked your interest? All right, Miss Teresa. Yeah, I mean, in that day and time, um, the the point there is that he's turning everything strong about them into something weaker. Okay, in that day and time, women didn't battle, women didn't go to war, and so he talks about their above that. He uh, uh, talks about their prophets becoming fools. So the idea there, I think is their warriors are becoming weak. And that's just the way it was declared. Not that they not that actually become women. Okay. Wayne, do you have something? Yeah, and Babylon is one of those nations that he says, you're done. And and the, the, the amazing thing is, not amazing from our perspective, from a worldwide perspective, they were. Uh, I mean, Babylon... I mean, you still have Egypt from that day. He doesn't say that about Egypt, but he does say Egypt will be weakened in a major way, and it was. And so a lot of the prophecies of Jeremiah really are. There is this thing, like you said, Wayne, in here, where part of it is you will be restored, particularly those are tribes that are of his people, of Israel, or have some sort of close relationship or people you know, this was after a time that Israel had intermarried quite a bit, which God did not approve of. But there were people within that that uh, were still God-fearers that still worshipped Yahweh. And he, he was trying to say, just keep doing what you're doing, and I will restore you. But there were a lot of people that refused to go. There's that interesting passage we read this week where uh, Jeremiah says, God says, stay here. Don't go to Egypt. Just stay here. And if you stay here, you'll be fine. And they said, no, he didn't. We're going to Egypt. You know. Tell us what God says, and whatever He says, well, you know, three or four times this week in reading, tell us what God says, and whatever God says, we will do. All right, God says to here. That's not what God would say. That's not what we're going to do. And so, yeah, Jeremiah is one of the most confusing books chronologically because it is nowhere near in order. Okay, and so the prophecies jump around because he'll be talking about the Babylonians coming and getting Jehoiakim and then the next thing he's talking about Josiah. Well, Josiah was two kings before. You know, I mean, so you have all these kind of things that are kind of wrapped. Now, as you get to the end of the book, it it does in a general way move from kind of early to the end. But you almost get this um, a term that's been made famous or made popular literary stuff and art and generations immediately before us was the stream of consciousness writer that just kind of writes and as things come to mind it doesn't have to be in any particular order jeremiah kind of feels that way it's just and so there are some prophecies in chapter one two three four five six that come after prophecies in 38 39 40 and i mean it's it's not in chronological order in fact somebody asked me uh, this week, I was in a meeting this week. Somebody said, well, what would you suggest next year? I've really enjoyed reading this Bible. What would you suggest next year? One of the things that I would suggest, if you really enjoyed this, is getting the chronological one-year Bible. And it places everything in chronological order as best we can. 
And so, like, the prophecies of Jeremiah would be in chronological order of where they happened. So you might be reading 1 Kings or 2 Kings, and then the prophecy of Jeremiah is put in there. Um, then a psalm is put in there that all whenever they were kind of written. So you're reading it like a story day by day. What's that? Kings, yeah. Yeah, two, yeah. Yeah, when I read that um, to Anne, I don't know that Jeremiah had much of a choice because the idea there is that almost everybody went to Egypt. And unless he was going to be there, and he was kind of um, a non-imprisoned prisoner. He was kind of a guy that was on a short leash, if you will. I mean, they let him out. You know, I mean, we also see in this part where he, he gets in the cistern, but the you know, he's getting quicksand kind of, and they have to pull him out. Don't you love the details some of the times in the Bible? I told him to put the towels under his armpits so that it, the rope would not harm him. You know, just love that detail there. Um, and so Jeremiah, in some ways, by the people around him, was kind of on a short leash. And so they, he was still trying to prophesy to them. That's my best guess. I, I, I looked a couple of places. I didn't, they just kind of accepted that he went. But, yeah, you would have thought there he would have kind of made a stand and say, I'm not going. Y'all go. I'm not going. Yes, Leslie. Yeah, we hear protection. We think safe, comfortable at home, warm, cozy fire, nothing happens bad. Protection to them was, I'm going to keep you alive. That was the general idea. Now, and, and I would have to go back and look again exactly when that prophecy was given. It was after the beating or before. Because, again, it's not in chronological order. But Jeremiah would have understood that to mean, I'm not going to let you be taken captive by the Babylonians, or I'm not going to let you be abused by them or used by them. I'm not going to let you be killed. I will let you live out your life here if you'll listen to me. Yes, Bill. Well, at this time, they were almost all coming from the north is the main thing. Just geographically, yeah. Now, Egypt would have come from the south, but the way Jerusalem was um, where it was, um, Assyria, Babylon, um, all of those would have been coming from the north. Uh, Yeah, Persia comes farther north than Babylon. Babylon is Iraq, okay, modern-day equivalent. Persia is somewhere around Turkey, somewhere up in that area. Okay, so it's kind of growing up that that coastline and kind of coming, so they are stacking. Now, another trait they will talk about when they talk about Jerusalem is they always talk about coming up to Jerusalem. Well, the reason for that is because Jerusalem was on a hill. So geographically, to get to Jerusalem, you had to, from north, south, east, or west, you had to come up to Jerusalem. But at this time, now when Egypt is coming, they would come from the south or they would come from the west. Um, they were kind of on a narrow strip of land next to the Mediterranean, so it was hard for anybody to come from west or east, really. It was north or south was the way armies would travel. They, you know, they didn't have uh, ships built to carry armies effectively back then. So That's not a bad question. Because you do read about north, and then there's more north, and how far north can you go, right? Well, you're talking about Babylon being destroyed. Is that what you're... Yeah, I, no, I think what they mean is there won't be anybody left there for the Babylonian Empire, that the Babylonian Empire will be done. So there won't be 
as an empire. There won't be people left living in the Babylonian Empire. Yeah, which amazing thing there, it does talk about Cyrus, which he is the one that, with the word, allows them to go back to their land after they take over Persia, the, the, the Holy Land. And, so, and he's the one that God declares, I can use Cyrus uh, like anyone else. Part of that is just in the Hebrew, generally nations were feminine words. I mean, we, we do that today. Uh, we, we talk about if you refer to America as a gender, oftentimes it's she or her. Um, we talk about Lady Liberty. You know, I mean, kind of patriotic national symbols sometimes are uh, my motherland, my mother country. And so, yeah, and so... Uh, that's just in their language. It just has feminine endings on it. So, and I, I think now that's currently. I think when you get to the New Testament, part of the reason you see that, and I think in the Old Testament this way, it will see this definitely in something like Hosea, is that God saw Israel as His bride. Um, and when you get to the New Testament, the church is the bride of Christ, and so. When he's referring to his bride, he's referring to her. All right, here, let me give you uh, seven things about uh, Jeremiah I think we can take away. After reading it over a month, some takeaway. Um, I'm going to start with a quote from a guy that understood tragedy in his own life. And he said, Defeat doesn't finish a man, quitting does. A man is not finished when he's defeated. He's finished when he quits. And part of the story of Jeremiah is a guy that continued to fight in spite of being defeated. There is no known converts for Jeremiah. I mean, think about the book of Jeremiah. When did he speak and somebody go, okay, I'm going your way now? It just didn't happen. He was the weeping prophet, because people would reject him constantly. He didn't have a congregation. He didn't have a church. He was a prophet. And everybody rejected him. Uh, that's tough. That's tough. And so he continued to go. Now, the guy that said that quote, defeat doesn't finish a man, is Richard Nixon. He also understood defeat a little bit. But that's what he said. Here's some things. First of all, in difficult days, we need to hear and heed the word of God. Right? Days were difficult in Jerusalem. These kings wanted to know the way out, and Jeremiah would tell them the way out, and they would refuse, not do what Jeremiah said, right? So it's important to do what God says. Um, secondly, true prophets of God are usually persecuted. Think about what we just read. Um, Jeremiah was put in stocks, he was beaten. We talked about Leslie, he's already, he was beaten. He was thrown into a cistern. Now, that just did not sound, not, not that getting beaten or put in stock sounds pleasant, but thrown into a cistern doesn't sound pleasant at all either. I mean, they're always, it seems, persecuted. Uh, somebody said this, true patriotism isn't blind to sin. Jeremiah loved his country as much as anybody else, and he was willing to tell the country what reality was. Uh, we, we do live in a culture where um, politicians seem to run on poll numbers more than issues. 
where they want to tell us what the people want to hear, uh, and so that they can and make the other guy look as bad as they can. I mean, those are the two objectives. And Jeremiah just spoke what was true at the time. He also didn't win any elections, uh, and probably wouldn't have Jeremiah. Uh, God's servants occasionally have doubts and failings. They have doubts and failings. Somebody wrote, Jeremiah was weak before God, but bold before men. That's a really uh, great observation. He was weak before God and bold before men. Um, There could be worse prayers for followers of Jesus Christ to pray than, Lord, make me weak before you and bold before men. Um, Really, I I just like that uh, observation. He was a prophet of the heart. Uh, He didn't want to give surface matters. He went straight through. Uh, Anybody that tries to do that is a candidate for some sense of failure. And Jeremiah definitely had doubts. Uh, The important thing in life isn't success. It's faithfulness. Um, Number six, the greatest reward of ministry is to be turned into the likeness of God. Jeremiah was systematically made more like God. Now, in the New Testament, that becomes Jesus Christ. Um, remember when uh, you remember when the disciples and Jesus were having that conversation, and Jesus had already started establishing his ministry, and he said, "Who do people say that I am?" Do you remember who they named? Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, some say Jeremiah. I mean, think about that. He, he was so revered in hindsight because he was acting like a prophet of God ought to act. Um, somebody put these similarities between Jesus and Jeremiah. Uh, their approaches to teaching and preaching were similar. They used action sermons, a great deal of imagery. Both spoke out against commercial surface religion. Both were accused of being traitors. Both suffered physically. Both were arrested. Both were beaten. Both were confined. Both wept over Jerusalem. Both were rejected by their relatives. Both knew what it was to be misunderstood and rejected. Both emphasized the need for faith in the heart. And both rejected the furniture, if you will, of religion that was external and impotent. He was like Jesus. And then last, God is king and he rules over all. Those are important lessons to kind of learn from the book of Jeremiah. All right? Anything else before? We're not going to touch on Jeremiah next week. We'll touch on Lamentations, and we'll get into Ezekiel. You'll have some questions about Ezekiel, I'm pretty confident. Okay? All right. I made for you a packet tonight. I know that the excitement level is about to go out the roof. All right? It's a packet of materials. We've clustered together the pastoral epistles. All right. Deborah did a marvelous job of getting these ready for you. The first page gives you these three books are put together. They're called the uh, Pastoral Epistles. Now, they haven't always been called the Pastoral Epistles. Uh, That's a kind of a recent term. But um, they are put together because of their focus. Uh, First Timothy was written probably around A.D. 64. Titus between 65 and 66, and 2 Timothy 67. Um, There are 
uh, you'll see that uh, 1 Timothy is mainly pastoral. Titus is mainly pastoral. 2 Timothy is mainly personal. Uh, this is kind of a neat, this is actually comes from, I've mentioned Danny Aiken before, this concept of, this is from his New Testament class, this concept of protect the gospel, practice the gospel, preach the gospel. All right? That makes for good teaching points and good questions on a test. So, uh, But it kind of encapsulates it. All right? So that just kind of gives you an overview we're not going to talk a lot about First Timothy this week because we kind of uh, did that last week. But you can see all the information there about uh, written from Paul to Timothy. It's kind of his manual on church life, um, the theme of fighting the good faith, know how to conduct yourself in the house of God, some main concerns. And then on the back of that sheet should be a pretty detailed outline. Um, a lot of you in this room are Sunday school teachers, and at some point you can file this stuff away and come back to it and hand it out to your class and um, help go through all that. Any questions on 1 Timothy before we move on? As we, I mean, we touched on some of them last week. If you weren't here last week, we can touch on them again. But any questions on 1 Timothy? One of the most misunderstood verses in Scripture is in chapter 6, um, verse 10. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All right? That's the best interpretation you can get from the original. I mean, you've heard it before. Money's the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. You've heard it before. Money, the love of money is the root of all evil. That's not really what it says. I think there's even some translations out there that have it that way. But the best understanding from the original Greek is the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. All right? That greed is a very basic sin that leads us into that. All right. Anything else? First Timothy. Second Timothy. All right. We'll, go to, we'll do it in the order they are in Scripture, not in the order they were written. Second Timothy is written from Rome. This is one of Paul's final books, more than likely, uh, that he wrote. Um, this is after the book of Acts probably was written. Most people put the book of Acts ending around A.D. 61, 62, 63. This would have been A.D. 67. Uh, there's some dispute about, well, how can he, you know, did he get out? Was he not in jail? Was he in jail? Uh, most people think whatever was happening, he was um, in Rome uh, where he was and that uh, he had appealed to Caesar, was written from a Roman prison, maybe a cold uncomfortable place. Written for Timothy. Uh, it's the last of Paul's letters that we have any record of. So this is as close to his final will and testament, if you will. His final words of instruction to Timothy or to anyone. You're really peeking into Paul knowing that it's his last days, knowing that he doesn't have a whole lot of time left um, and so you find some verses in there where he you kind of get that sense um, that he's fought it he's lived he's done what he's supposed to do and it's time to prepare for the next phase uh, Paul knew his fate was coming soon you just got that sense that I think part of it he was so in touch with the Lord he, the Lord he kind of said Paul it's about time you know so what questions do you have 
thoughts, concerns? Yes, Miss Teresa. It's both, I think. I, I think I think the understanding there, because he's talking to, to Timothy about being in church and preaching in church. And I think that what he's saying is there's a time when God, when, and I don't know that he means that there won't be a time and then there will be a time. I think what he's saying is that more and more you're going to see people who are just wanting to hear things that um, that great verse uh, say what their itching ears want to hear. Uh, make them feel good. Give them encouragement without presenting the gospel. Um, I mean, we see that in our day. I mean, we see people, uh, and I'll be honest, as a preacher, sometimes it's tempting to try to jazz it up and not do what you're called to do. And so uh, I remember watching, um, we may have some big Joel Osteen fans here. I apologize in advance if you are. Um, I remember watching Joel uh, Osteen, who is now the pastor of the largest church in America. Um, And it was Easter, and he was at Minute Maid Park in Houston. And he had 60,000 people there. And he was preaching the Easter message. And he never mentioned the cross. And he never mentioned the resurrection. He talked about believing positively. Now, I'm not saying that there aren't times when Joel does a good job of encouraging people. But when I watched that, and I watched it because I thought, surely, as a preacher, of, if I've got 60,000 people at an Easter service, I'm going to talk about the resurrection. If I've got a hundred at an Easter service, I'm going to talk about the resurrection. It doesn't matter the numbers, but it's Easter. You know, I mean, if there's a day when you're going to talk about it, that's the day. Um, and so it, it's a. It, I'm not not to get on Joel. I, even um, Robert Schuler, Crystal Cathedral. Uh, I don't know if you've seen that his son has been fired from that church by Robert Schuler, which has got to make for an uncomfortable uh, Christmas and Thanksgiving, right? And you know why he was fired? Because he was preaching too much about sin and the gospel. Uh, Robert Schuler's Crystal Cathedral, Power of Positive Thinking. Uh, uh, who is the Power of Positive Thinking writer? Um, Norman, yeah, uh, Schuler traces a lot of it back to Peel. Um, and l- literally, the board met, and his son, he, he got rid of his own son because he was preaching too much about sin and hard gospel. So, I mean, we, we live in a day when people want to have their ears tickled and not, right? Yeah, it is. Crystal Cathedral's filed bankruptcy. So, he talks. He does, but, and what you have to ask, and that's something we have to be discerning about as believers, is what is being communicated there, the gospel of Jesus Christ, biblically sound, or is it a message that is... Uh, saying what their itching ears want to hear, to quote Paul. What else in Second Timothy? Yeah, I, yeah, I think there, first he's talking to Timothy. And he's saying to Timothy, you can, because Timothy was in that place where it, it, almost like a parent allows a child to go to college, if you will. And they go off into the world, into college, and then, they come back and they say, man, you're not going to believe what I heard in my world religions class. 
And the parent says, you can trust what you've been taught. You can believe what you've been taught since your birth. And you'll see in 2 Timothy, he says a couple of times, you, you've heard the gospel from, from when you were a child. And he, I think he's saying to Timothy, all right, I'm about to be gone, and I'm not going to be able to answer all these questions for you. But you can trust what is in this Bible, what is in God's Scripture, you can trust it. And so it's good for man of God to be equipped for every good work. But I think he means it, obviously, more than just for Timothy or a preacher even. He means it for the community. All right, anything else in Second Timothy? Yeah, and verse 6 is one of those... Um, one of my, my favorite word pictures in the New Testament, right before that. Uh, Cliff says, one of his favorite verses of verse 7, verse 6 says, For I have already been poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. That word there, and I, I've spoken on this, uh, preached on it here, that word for departure literally means to pick up your camp and move it to another location. It, it means uh, to set sail on a voyage to a new destination. That's that word picture there. And so when Paul says, I, we read that and we think, well, he's saying goodbye. But he says literally, it is time for me to set sail for my ultimate destination. To leave this world behind. Sounds like a good southern gospel song, doesn't it? You leave this world behind. Ain't going to need this world no longer, right? Um, Paul must have been a little southern gospel at heart. But that's that's the idea there. And I just love that. And then he says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. Yeah. That's good stuff. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11. I really like that. If we died with him, we'll live with him. If we endure, we'll reign. If we disown him, He'll disown us, but I like this. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. Or he can't disown himself. And the idea there is, if we disown him, I don't believe that's from us who are believers disowning him so he no longer accepts us as children. What he says there is, basically in verse 13, if we are faithless, he cannot undo what he has done because that would be untrue to himself. So as he has rescued us, even when we are faithless, he is faithful to his commitment to us. All right, let's go to Titus, because we do have business meeting tonight. We've got a few minutes here. Titus. Titus is not one of those books we read a whole lot, probably. Uh, it's not one we do as much with. Usually it's when we do something and we do first, second, like we're doing tonight. We talk about the pastoral, so we'll talk about first, second Timothy and Titus. But... Uh, it's a balance of theology and good works. Um, Paul is uh, the author. Um, it was written to Titus who was laboring uh, on the Isle of Crete in the Mediterranean. He was immersed that island in pagan philosophy. Apparently Titus was appointed by the apostle to organize churches there and. uh Paul seems to have evangelized the island at some time, but could not stay long enough to, to get local churches going. So um, Paul has kind of put him there to 
help organize them. So they're fighting against Judaizers and ignorant Christians trying to get their sound doctrine in order. All right? Questions or answers on what we've read or things you've noticed on what we've read here. There is what is called the dual... um, The reason that people don't understand what's going on here is because we don't see in Acts where Paul goes to Crete and starts a church. And so when you get to Acts, Paul is in Rome, um, imprisoned. And so how does he then go back to Crete? Um, Most scholars putting things together think that Paul was in Rome for a couple of years, imprisoned, wrote 1 Timothy during that time probably, was let out. Paul's goal in life was to get to what he called the ends of the earth. Now, why would he want to go to the ends of the earth? Because Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Well, in their map, Spain had a place they called the ends of the earth. On their map, they would say, there's Spain, and then it would write out there, this is the ends of the earth. And so Paul saw he was going to take literally the call of Jesus. He was going to the ends of the earth. So there are some that say he got out of prison uh, sometime in 62-63 A.D. He then journeyed to Asia Minor, visited Ephesus and Colossae. Then he left Timothy. He went and saw Timothy after writing First Timothy. Went to Macedonia where he spent the winter. In 64, he revisited Asia Minor on his way to Spain. When he got to Spain, he came back to Crete, and then he started some churches in Crete. Uh, He left Crete, leaving Titus. Shortly after that, he wrote a personal letter to Titus. Paul spent the winter in Macedonia, was rearrested, sent back to Rome. Died under Nero somewhere around 68 A.D. So... And during that time is when he wrote Second Timothy, when he was back in, in his last days. So that's why, as they piece it together, that seems to be the best fitting of that. Does that answer that question of why Titus is in the middle? Okay. Paul is, there's no, I mean, the tradition holds that, uh, I believe Paul was crucified. But I know Peter was crucified upside down. Paul, I think Paul was crucified under Nero. But for some reason that sounds weird coming out of my mouth, Miss Rachel. And so I think that's right. But I'll check on that. But I'm almost assured of that. Maybe beheaded. That's why it sounds weird coming out. He was killed in Rome. I know that. Because of his... So neither one a easy way. Yeah. It's it's uh I had I had some statistics on it if I can find it's a, it was an island 146 miles long. So what would that be from basically here to less than here to Knoxville long. Uh near the Aegean it was uh mired in Greek god philosophy. It was considered the birthplace of Zeus and the Minotaur, the half-bull, half-human thing. So, all right, next week, we got a little bit of Titus.
Philemon, and then we get into Hebrews. All right? The old joke, you know, there's a discussion about coffee in the Bible. It's all about when Hebrews 